0: Yeah, I'm on. Can you hear
1: me? Yes, can hear you perfectly. Welcome.
0: Good. Yep. Here I am.
1: Okay. Well, let's get started. Uh, so welcome everyone. Okay. Uh, welcome to the, our monthly mastermind with Mr. George Ross. Uh, George is one of the most extraordinary men that I know. Apart from the, the fame of being, uh, advisor and right-hand man to the man who's now in the White House for many, many years. He's a very accomplished business person. Having, um, been in business for over 60 years, having taught at NYU for over 20 years in the law school, having written several best-selling books on real estate and investing and negotiation. And, uh, I just cherish the time that we get to spend together. So, uh, thank you, George, and welcome.
0: Thank you. Good to be here.
1: So take your, get your journals out, take lots of notes, and we've got some great questions, uh, this month, and let's just dive right in. Go ahead. So, George, uh, I run a real estate investors association here in Ottawa. Uh, in fact, you spoke at it uh, about a year ago. And we've got a situation where one of our members promoted a new townhouse development from the stage. They were actually sponsor one of the meetings. And uh, he, he essentially was sub-syndicating that project. He sold investments to about 20 people. And unfortunately, that project has gone bad. Now, it's mm-hmm. not something that taints our association per se. But it was pitched from stage to our membership. And I'm trying to think, you know, figure out what to do about that. Not that there's anything we can do to recover their money or anything like that. But I feel at least a responsibility to say to the membership, maybe educate them a little bit better on how to perform due diligence, how to better evaluate a deal without perhaps referencing this particular project directly, because I don't want to attract any liability. But what are your thoughts on that?
0: Well first of all uh, the idea the the concept is a bad concept starting off don't you know once once you do what you've done and, and this is already past history but certainly is important for future reference is once you have somebody on the stage mm-hmm. at your event and basically they make some kind of a pitch to, to get people or to invest you're liable for that or sooner or later somebody's going to come after you and say well you put them up there and if it goes sour, you're the first. They're going to look at you unless you have protected yourself with some kind of a protection in liability by a written written form and understanding as far as all the people are there, and I would make them sign it that mm-hmm. the presentation which is being made has nothing to do with you. Uh, in other words, the Real Estate Investors Association make no representations, and it's only the particular person or the particular group that is is uh, is sponsoring this this particular investment, so you have to protect yourself and uh it, it obviously in the first instance this hasn't been done, but in the future well, you actually, know we do. to protect yourself
1: actually we do so when people join as members, we do ask them to sign that that disclaimer uh and we also present that disclaimer at the beginning of every meeting, so that's presented from stage and good. We, and, and so we we
0: okay that's that. good yeah. That's good. But you understand there's another problem that comes up, and I don't know what it is basically in Canada, mm-hmm. but sub uh, syndicating or selling more in, to more investors in a certain number with a certain thing, with a certain thing without giving total this, a total uh, discussion or total distribution of all the information mm-hmm. could be very high hazardous depending upon the, the, the country or the locale. It is in, it is in the United States.
1: Absolutely. In other words, you're
0: limited to the number of investors that you can submit something to without going a, a file of the attorney general. So I'm just saying I don't know what it is in Canada, but I would be very careful of that that you haven't done. You haven't, it hasn't come out to more potential investors than you're permitted to do. And when it is sub syndicated, it's not only the original syndicators and who exactly. they got it to, but also the subs and who they get it to. And then you could have a, a particular problem of having it to too many people without necessarily filing whatever or doing whatever has to be done legally. And this is a legal problem. To right. see What you're involved. So you can't have a certain number of people. But I'm just saying that that's a, a potential problem in a particular jurisdiction.
1: Right. Now, as I understand it, what was presented from stage was the opportunity to purchase these units. So it was kind of like selling real estate, which is not a security. But from what I've understood from some of the people affected, is that it was, you know, it wasn't actually a, a real estate sale. It was a promissory note. It was not, uh, I, I, you know, at least to my eye, it doesn't appear to follow the appropriate Securities Commission exemptions. So I think, I think uh, I I
0: know I know that. But yeah, having I understand what you're saying, that when someone is is there and someone is enticed. Or whatever means or by, say, to make an investment. If that investment goes sour, they'll go after everybody that was involved. Right. Uh from the beginning, and said you should have told me, and uh, or you shouldn't. Or you, you should. Or you should have made it more explicit, and I didn't know what it was. I thought it was a a purchase, and it turned out to be a note. It's very hazardous
1: mm-hmm.
0: to do it without creating some potential liability. So okay. you, I'm just saying in, yep. the, in the future, you have to be careful that you're going to protect yourself so that everybody is aware of what it is. And whoever is basically making the, 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 uh, discussion or, or selling a particular product, make sure that all of the audience that's there is aware that this is not something which is sponsored in any way by your real estate investors association. But you're only permitting them to the the individual party, whoever it is, to voice whatever the transaction is, but there's no liability and they you you're completely absolved right, from right. any responsibility in connection with the transaction, whether they go into it or not, and you make sure that you're adequately protected <laughs> because the the problem that you have is having done this at this when it goes sour. The people who are are involved, they come after everybody. Well, you started it. You should have told me I didn't understand it. When I went there, this is what I had in mind. And it turned out that I got the hoodwinked and it was a a bad trade. It wasn't what you had in mind. And they go after everybody. Now, it doesn't mean that they will be successful, but it does mean that you could be potentially uh, subject to substantial litigation that you have to defend. Plus- the, the the lack of uh, uh, how it can affect your reputation. Right, right. And uh, you don't want to do that. So we have to be careful at this to either say, well, if you're interested in this, con- contact John Jones and here's his number. We have nothing to do with it. But this is if you're interested in the nature of that investment. But it's not generally a good idea to do it from the, from your stage or from uh, from your pulpit. Not at all. It It's it's uh could, could be very very uh, treacherous if it goes sour. If it right. goes good, they won't remember it. Of course. But if something goes sour, or somebody figures that there was, was a misrepresentation, and that's easy, because to get a misrepresentation, oh, the whoever was promised me that I would get a return of fourteen percent a year, or what, or twelve percent, and it was dead safe, and I didn't have to worry. All of this will come out. When there is a when there's a problem, to say this is what I was promised, but it didn't turn out to. And they weren't promised that, but nevertheless, that's what they remember, or that's what they want, and what they figure this is. What can I lose? I lost, or I lost my money. Let me go figure out how to get it back, or how to make some kind of a suit. So the, the the concept is one that I would be very wary of. I wouldn't say not to do it, but it's something to recognize the hazards which are involved and make sure that you're adequately protected and get some legal help at that point to say here's what they ought to sign and get somebody to say that they're, they're aware of this. Right. So right. that this that you're not that you're not uh, this is our spokesman. That is this is it's purely the the uh it, it's it's purely the idea of the particular party or group which is making the presentation and not uh your so not your association.
1: Yeah, and I think we I think we do that well uh, at the beginning of every session. Good. So I think I think that good. part's okay. but what I'm
0: saying now, right. it's not only that. Yeah. Make sure you got something in writing.
1: Yes, yes.
0: This is not something oral. This is something. Now that you got it in writing and it says good, that there and the people are there understand it. I, now, I be- having said that. Mm-hmm. All right. Having said that, if you haven't done it for any of the past transactions, just. Just don't don't talk about past transactions, or don't try to to clarify uh, what has been done in the past. Right. Once you try to do that, you leave yourself open for another lawsuit, especially for something that's gone sour. Said, well, you should have told me this first, and therefore you're coming in now at that point, and therefore you misrepresent. This I should have been told. So you just leave it lying.
1: I see. Okay. I wouldn't,
0: wouldn't I wouldn't backtrack and and explain what you did or what you didn't do. Or what can be done in the future? Just sort of, if it's happened, you know, you know, for the future, how to avoid it on the next one. But on a past one that went, it didn't turn out the way the particular investors were thought it would work out, just let it lie, mm-hmm. and don't, don't, don't try to, uh, to to smooth it over and say, I never did this, I never did that. That only makes it worse because they're going to take whatever you say the second time around. To be used against you, saying you should have said this the first time around. And they'll, when when people are upset about the having been misled or what they think they were misled from uh, a particular investment, uh, then they, they take anything they they want, uh, or they can come on to indicate uh, where there's potential liability. I was a he was a friend. He told me as a friend this was going to be good, but it wasn't good. Whatever it is, they'll come up with everything that they can think of. Uh, to try to recover their money because they are aggrieved. Aggrieved. So I would just sort of leave that sit. Don't 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 try to to improve it uh, because it, you'll only make it worse. They'll come. Up, whatever you put on the table for the purpose of improvement will make it worse if they continue to object to the the transaction and what has what has transpired. So just let it be. But this is a good. This is a very good lesson for whoever uh, who's ever listening to the call at that is to be very careful. If you're presenting something and it's yours, that's fine. If it's somebody else's and you're presenting it and you're uh, you, you may look like you are underwriting it. And you're putting your reputation on it. If that thing goes sour at that point, your reputation will be attacked, especially if you have some assets and the the, the party making the presentation doesn't. So it's, uh, I mean, this is Learning Annex all all over again.
1: (laughs) Absolutely.
0: You know, we're Learning Annex at that point had guys, had uh, people that were there that gave all kinds of, uh, uh, programs and ideas is what it was. And then when they went sour, uh, people looked as, well, Learning Annex did it, but Learning Annex is basically just was the, 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 uh, speaking platform for these people to reach the investors. And really didn't they didn't underwrite or say anything about the uh, uh, how good they were or not good, but nevertheless the fact that they promoted it was enough to uh, give them potential the potential liability enough for lawsuits. I'm not saying whether or not it they were successful. It's just who needs the aggravation.
1: Exactly. That's very good advice. That's very good advice. Um, h- helpful for me personally, and I suspect helpful for many of the folks on the call as well, because some of them are members of the executives. Um, so that's great. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. Okay. But that's you're, you're, you're in a very dangerous, potentially dangerous waters. You think you're doing a favor and you probably are to the people that are there, giving them up exposure to certain potential investments, which would be very good. But at the same time, you may be creating collateral liability if it, if they don't, uh, produce exactly the way the people who were in that, were there uh, did it. And very right. often they say, well, I only did it because it was sponsored by the uh, real estate investors association. So you, know, you, you you have given credibility to the idea, whatever was created, even though it did go sour. But, I mean, well, so, let so let me ask go a follow on question.
1: So let me ask a follow on question because when that presentation was being made, uh on stage I looked at it and within the first 30 seconds I said to myself this is not an investment that I would ever put a penny into ever in my lifetime it makes no sense and so should I have stopped it at that point
0: yes absolutely if you're I mean you're you're astute yeah you're a astute investor at this point if you feel that what you you are in any way by being there you're sponsoring something which is uh has a has a major hitch or a problem I think, yeah, you got to come out and say it. And even though it may, uh, you know, taint whoever is there, you can say, hey, you know, I you, you can easily come from the stage it's to say, look, I reviewed this investment and I don't it's not something that I would recommend or that I would invest in. However, it's up to you, the people that are there personally to make their own decision. But definitely I would cut it off mm-hmm. if you feel that way, Okay. because somebody come back and say, well, you should have known. You're an expert. You should have known it was bad and you should, have, you had a duty to speak when you remain silent.
1: Right. Okay. Very good.
0: Okay. Okay. Next? next.
1: So next, um, I often encounter situations, not for necessarily for me personally, although it's happened to me in the past, where I, I see partnerships forming that ultimately result in divorce. And it seems to be a recurring problem where the terms for terminating that Partnership are either articulated badly, if at all. So, and I know this is something we've talked about before, but I wonder if you could maybe mm-hmm. take us through your thought process. What are the basic elements that you look for when drafting? Uh, what would be the termination considerations? And I really want everyone on the call here to take detailed notes in this segment. It really could be one of the most important things you'll learn all year.
0: Well, I I think this is, and I, I I think you're characterizing it correctly uh the uh, termination provisions in a partnership agreement are very very important very very critical and they're usually effectuated when there is a problem when they're there and everything's going fine you don't you're not going to you're not going to go for the divorce but when you do have a problem and you want to go then the then the procedure which has been set forth and the timing element is uh, something that uh, is, has to be Laid out so that everybody knows which way that they're going to proceed. Now, as far as the the, the concepts or the various concepts, and there are a lot of them uh, that can be done. The first thing is is how do you start the divorce? So it has to be some kind of a written notice saying you're going to effect, you're going to effectuate clause number 23x or whatever it is,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which has to do with the termination. That's number one. And here's my notice. And it's effective. You can take 30 days, 60 days or what have you, but it's effective so that it's not something that the party that's create, starting this situation and wants a divorce can say, oh, I changed my mind. You understand? It has to be you. want to do it, you do it. And the other whoever is involved on the other side has the right to rely upon the party who triggered the event and saying that's what it is, because you're, you're going to do something as you a, as a, in response to the fact that they want a divorce. They want out. Now, how do you get out? That's a number of ways. One of the ways that you can get out is that you can say that the party who's who wants out agrees how much they would, how much they, who puts a, a price tag on their share. Mm-hmm. And assuming now that they put a price tag on their share, now, that's the, the the party that wants to sell the, the other party says, hey, okay, either I'll accept the price or I don't accept the price. Now, if they accept the price, there's no problem except the terms of the price have to be agreed upon. So they can say, all right, I agree. I will buy your share out for $500,000, but I, I, they don't have to pay the whole 500000 at one time. They can pay it over a period of years. And or whatever it is with a certain rate of interest. But they know if they exercise the right, yes, you're going to get paid. I'm going to buy you a share, and I'm going to pay for it, and this is what you're going to get. Now, that procedure can certainly be laid out. Now, assuming that they want to buy it, what happens if they don't want to buy it? Right. Now, if they don't want to buy it now, and the party still wants out, they say, well, how do I get out? Well, you can agree to to put some type of a price tag on it, a price tag based upon a multiple of earnings, uh, what the what the annual return is, and take a multiple of that and say, okay, this is we we determine now that is the price that would be that either party would pay to get out, and that depends on if it's an income producing property. You've got that. You, you know, you can make a certain multiple of the income with giving a 6% return said, whatever return you agree upon in the first instance is not overly important, but it's just that it's there, but that fixes the price. So it's not an arbitrary situation, which is fixed, which is determined by the party who wants to sell, but it's a, it's a, a, a finite result based upon mathematical computation of the, uh, the, the valuation of the income at a period of time, which could be done by the accountant. In other words, the CPA could generate, Hey, this is what it was for the, or what it was for the past year or some way of, uh, of having an, an independent evaluation as to what the actual income was in a period of time. So if, and then if, he's taking a multiple of that,
1: if the remaining party is, Simply not interested in making the purchase, regardless of the price, then at that point presumably the only solution is liquidation.
0: Yeah, or sell. Yeah, in other words, you could put it on the situation can do it, or or at this you give them the give the 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 party who who the the remaining partner the right to buy out the party who wants to withdraw at a certain period of time within which to do it. Within which to come up, so you could take that share, and you could could basically uh, put it on the open market and get a new partner, mm-hmm. and say this is what this is what's involved. This is how many you come up with. This many dollars, assuming you don't want to buy you don't want to buy that uh, that interest yourself. So a lot and of you LLC... can have a period of time within which to within which to come up with a su- successful offer.
1: Now a lot of a lot of LLC operating agreements have strict um, restrictions on selling of interest so as not to run afoul of securities laws um, yeah. how do you get around that
0: well not this is when you say the restrictions dependent on restrictions it depends on whatever the restrictions are okay. uh, generally speaking you can sell but you can't subdivide uh, in other words, you can sell into the entire interest but you can't sell it you can't piece it out so, if you have a 50% interest, you can't have uh, 10 people buying 5%. I Or what they, they have to be qualified people in the, the knowledgeable in the industry, uh, have, understand what the investment requirements are, and they recognize. But all of that can be spelled out in the divorce proceeding. Right. In other words, this is it. This is who you can sell to, who you can buy, who, who effectively is a potential buyer. You don't want a government uh, agency as a buyer. Uh, and there are other instances that may things or groups that you don't want as buyers because they would adversely affect the, uh, uh, the property itself. And understand that whoever buys the remaining share does not get control. No, they're gone. They don't get control. The party who stays on is the party that remains in control. And the only thing that is owed... To the out to the withdrawing partner is the dollars or whatever they've agreed to as a result of the divorce. So it's not a situation where the party who is seeking the divorce and they get they get money or whoever buys that share is in the same position as the 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 the, the, the selling party was. Because what happens you shouldn't be able to to saddle the remaining partner who wants to stay in with new partners that he knows nothing about that are only there for the purchase of, for the purpose of buying the property. Right. And not only that, you may have a situation easily where as a result of the sale, the, rep- of, the of the minority interest, the party who is left over, if he's got a new partner that has some degree of control, he could end up getting wiped out or reduced. Saying, "I, you give me somebody that busts it on me, and I can't do business with." Now, eventually, they're going to they're going to be so unhappy with me that they're going to force me out, and I don't want to be forced out because I wanted to stay. So, if you if Party A wants out, they can, do, they can have a, an arrangement as to how they get out. They pay cash. They don't pay cash. There's a valuation. There's appraisals. There's a, a term, a right to pay it out over a period of time. Maybe you pay it out from income, or maybe you, you you pay it out by getting new investors. But the outgoing partner, the one that's withdrawing, loses control, and the people coming in don't get the same degree of control that the outgoing partner had. Yeah. Okay. Um, but there's, no, it's not it's, it's not very complicated. It, no. There are many ways of doing it. A good, good lawyer can do them all. It's, uh, the main thing is is to get the parties, to uh, the partners, to agree on when they set up the partnership, this is the procedure in which we're going to uh, operate under in the event that I want out or you want out.
1: So for the folks on the call, uh, one of the terms that's often used is is what's called a shotgun clause. Can you, can yeah. you walk us through that?
0: Yeah, shotgun is very, very simple. They should say, it, the party wants out, all right, now, and you say, assume, assume now that you and I are partners, right? And we each have a 50% interest in the partnership, okay? You want out, all right, now, and you say to, say to me or I say to you, Good, how much do you want for your, for your 50% interest? And you say $500,000, and I say, no, that's too much. You can agree to pay 500000 for my 50% interest, and I'm out. That's the shotgun. One of us buys, and the first party that makes it up sets up a price. So your your 50% interest can't be higher than my 50% interest. So the whatever the proportionate interest is. The price
1: is the same regardless. It's balanced.
0: That's correct, right. regardless of who it is. So the divorce comes in. One of the parties has set the price, all right? And the other party says, all right, I'll give it to you or I will take it. In which case, the party who, who started it first comes up with the number and it has to buy. So this says, well, sell so it's a half a million for my share or if you if I don't want to buy, sell, you, sell you my share or you don't want to buy my share, I'll buy your share for the same price that I gave, uh, I told you, which is the shotgun approach. And it figures that whoever starts it either ends up buying it or ends up buying out the other party at the same number. So there's a certain responsibility and a certain logic to, you'll come up with a realistic number because you don't know if you're going to be the buyer or the seller. That's what, that's basically a shotgun approach.
2: Right.
0: Somebody starts it and one person buys it or it's available. It doesn't have to mean it'll happen, but it's available.
1: Right. Right. Okay.
0: So when you say fine, I'll buy your share for this, or you buy my share for the same number, or the same basic percentage number. One of the things
1: that one of the things that often precipitates, um, you know, these types of divorce proceedings is when there's a perceived imbalance in a partnership, whether that's an imbalance of contribution, an imbalance of dollars, financial strength, what have you. There's the often starts that way. Um, would you recommend having some kind of um, cure period in there before uh, an accident? Oh, yeah. Oh,
0: no, absolutely. Definitely have a cure period. Not only that, they could be penalized. What happens if they don't come up with the money? Right. If there's a capital call and you don't come up with the money, they've got to be penalized for the fact that they didn't come up with the money. So you can could, could penalize them in one of two ways. You can charge them interest. You can make, make a loan to them at a... At a, at a a higher rate of interest for the for the money they should have come up, or you can dilute their interest, like on a with with a penalty involved. So at that point, it doesn't mean that the, that you that you get equitable treatment because you reneged on putting up with your coming up with your dollars. No, you're penalized, and therefore you there's some kind of a, 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 a recalculation on uh, you lost instead of having a 50 percent interest. Now, when you don't come up with your money, at that point, you lose 10%, 5%, 1% or in some type of a formula because you didn't, you weren't a good partner. You didn't do what you're supposed to do.
1: Right.
0: So and, uh, at that point, and whoever puts up the money in lieu of, of, of the party that was defaulting uh, gets it back with an increased rate of return and also has purchased effectively a share of the partnership by reason of the default by the other party. You didn't live up to your terms. So therefore, you just can't walk away if, you, if you're not a good partner and you don't come up with the capital calls when they're required. Then there ought to be some penalty involved. Perfectly logical, perfectly fine. I mean, as, as a as a procedure, not going to be fine if it comes to place because whoever is is penalized is not going to be happy. But realistically, the fact that they didn't come up with their money, they can't really say, well, this is this is unfair. Hey, not unfair, come up with your money. It was a capital call. you had to put up fifty grand. you didn't do it, so therefore, at that point, you ought to be penalized for the fact that you didn't live up to your capital obligation
1: now that is wouldn't say they should be I that would, I wouldn't say they
0: should be wiped out right but, but nevertheless, they can certainly be diluted, or you can have the op they can trigger the opportunity to buy it.
1: So, so is that is that formula spelled out in the partnership agreement or is it simply left in general language?
0: No, no, no. It's spelled out in the partnership agreement. So if there's a dilution at that point, it could be a dilution depending upon of, of how much is, depending on how, well, how much <coughs> did they not pay any part of the capital account or did they not pay 50% of the capital account or 20% of it. All of that could be The, the more they did that was appropriate, the less they're penalized. The less they did the corporate, the more they're penalized. Right. But they don't get wiped out. In other words, a wipeout out is, is a difficult one and courts don't generally like that. Okay. That, that you, you, you're you supposed to come up with your, your, your capital account and I gave you a notice and I gave you tw- ten, 10 days to come up with it. You didn't, good, goodbye. You lose your partnership interest. That's a, a, a type of a penalty or a forfeiture is, is a tough one for a court to, up, to, to uphold, especially if the defaulting party had a lot of dollars involved in the partnership and they, they ran into financial problems. And all of a sudden they couldn't do it because something happened uh, health-wise or financially and it really wasn't their intention to default. However, circumstances came about that required them to default. They shouldn't be totally penalized.
1: Very, very And, and nice.
0: also, you can... Be, you can provide in the same thing that if they are penalized, they have a certain opportunity to come back and cure the default, but not on a dollar for dollar basis with some kind of a penalty. So if they didn't come up with their money when they were supposed to, but they came up with it 60 days later at that, hey, they get penalized for the fact that they were 60 days late and the other party had a, somebody else had to step up uh, and fill the gap in the short term. So that there is a penalty involved but nevertheless you give them an opportunity to cure it now the more provisions you put in with an opportunity to cure in 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 a situation where there is a default the easier it is to enforce that and generally it's accepted because the courts the courts whoever judge gets involved say wait a minute hey you had an opportunity to come in and solve the problem you didn't do it therefore don't complain so it's not a total default you gave them the opportunity. They didn't do it. Time-wise, there was a penalty involved. Instead of whatever they paid, you pay extra interest. So instead of putting it on a charge at, uh, at uh, 12%, you pay 15%, whatever it is. As long as it makes some kind of a, a logical sense, the courts will uphold it.
1: That makes a lot of sense. That makes yeah, a it's a tricky
0: sense. provision, but it's, it's one that's, that's critical in day one, when you set up the partnership, because then there's nothing on the table. Everybody's happy with one another. We're going to partners, we're gonna be poppy, everything's gonna be fine, that's good. But later on down the pike, for one reason, or another one party wants a divorce, and very often it'll turn out as a result of ill health, financial problems, we just can't get along. I was, you were supposed to do this, so I was supposed to do that, and they disagree. And as a result, that's why you have to have this provision if you do it initially with all the thoughts that's involved, it's fair because you never know which side you're going to be on. Are you going to be the party that wants out or are you going to be the party that wants to stay in?
1: Very good, George. This has been very valuable.
0: But Another, another potential uh, solution that is, is, is something generally difficult to enforce but to, is if you can have a valuation made by a third party that both of the partners trust – and they say, okay, we'll submit it to John Jones, and whatever he comes up with the value of the share, that's what we'll determine it. Is. That's what it is. If you can do that, that's fine too. But it's hard to find a, a an impartial judge, right. or you know, a party that you both trust. But it's a it's a possible solution if you can.
1: So kind of almost like uh yeah, it's not an arbitration, but but almost, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, it's not that, but it's it's no. a it's a potential uh, situation if you can find somebody that, that both people uh, would would trust to be uh, impartial in the given situation. But they have to know the they have to know part the partnership. They have to know what the property is involved. They have to be uh, to come up with a valuation of what it's worth. So you can't just pick uh, somebody knows nothing about it.
1: Right, right. In other
0: words, if it's a, if it's a real estate venture, you ought to be somebody who knows real estate. Don't pick somebody that doesn't know real estate because they'll come up with whatever they want. And you don't pick accountants because accountants basically they figured what it should be rate of return and what it, and they it, they're not in the business. You get somebody who's familiar with the business of the uh, the partnership, whatever it may be. Perfect. Okay.
1: Wonderful. Let's move on to um, our next question. is from from Sia. Sia, you're on the line.
0: Hi, George.
2: Thanks for uh, and thanks, Hi uh, George, we're in a situation right now where we're we're selling a commercial property, um, and we had an offer to pr- uh, to purchase the property. Now, I gave the the agent clear instructions on how to work with the buyer to secure yeah. financing. And essentially what the agent did was he didn't follow instructions and he left it up to the unsophisticated buyer to gather paperwork. Um, I was in a bit of a city of duress because I was on a cash call, so I needed the cash, so I instructed the agent to drop the price Mm -hmm. to secure more buyers. He told me essentially that the one lead that we had, that one offer that we had, uh, they weren't sophisticated, they weren't, serious, they were just messing around, they were never gonna secure financing. So we dropped the price and the agent, I don't think he was really interested in getting the deal done or he wasn't really enthusiastic about it. So I said, hey man, just mm-hmm. release me from the listing. And he agreed mm-hmm. to release me from the listing. So he released me from the listing and a few days later I thought about it and I just contacted buyer directly and they seemed super enthusiastic to the, the deal. To do the deal, right? Um, mm-hmm. They said the agent was calling us and saying, "Hey, sign the paper and give me a $50,000 deposit." And they just didn't feel comfortable with the transaction. They just felt like the agent was trying to—he was just trying to say, "Hey, go online and click a couple of buttons and give me a $50,000 check, mm-hmm. and we'll go from there." So he wasn't supporting the sale. Uh, the agent got wind that I talked to the buyer okay. directly. He okay. to "Hey, I want my commission." Okay. Uh, and now we signed an APS with them today, uh, but I feel there was damages caused because we dropped the price substantially.
0: Well, yeah, but don't pay the broker a commission.
2: But, but I let me a- just
0: tell you, let's let's go back, backtrack for a minute.
2: Sure.
0: So first of all, I have to tell you, when you're dealing with a with an agent, you can tell when the agent is lying because his lips are moving.
2: I love it. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Welcome to the real They're world. They're not though.
0: going to tell you the truth because what it is at this point they're going to tell you what they think you would like to hear Fair enough. but not the truth and they go back to these to the buyer assuming you're the seller they go back to the buyer and tell the buyer what they like to hear so they tell the buyer well this is where i am but i i can get you this price you don't don't pay higher and they'll come back to the seller and say well the buyer now is reluctant to pay the price but the the, the agent is the one that has created this so there's always something lost in the translation between, because the agent is only has one idea in mind to make a commission and the <laughs> largest possible commission. That's the nature of the business. So it's perfectly proper and good way for you as this or for the, the seller to say, I want to talk to the buyer directly and sit down and see if you can't work it out that generally will work because you haven't gotten a translation you make your own evaluation of whether the buyer is is interested not interested willing to pay more or willing for different types of terms or or not so you're not you don't have to rely upon the agent and what the agent says now understand this that the agent could be could be double or triple dealing with you they could have three other offers that they figure are going to create a larger commission. And therefore, they, they take the one that is the most interest to you, and they put that on a back burner because it wasn't the most interest for them on a commission basis. All the agent is interested in is making the highest commission possible at the earliest possible time. That is their sole motivation. Not to make the, the seller happy and not necessarily to make the buyer happy if they happen to represent the buyer. That's the nature of the
1: business. So, George, in this particular instance, uh, there is a dual representation. uh, Yeah, that's fine. So, I mean, obviously dual representation does represent a conflict of interest. I know it's extremely common.
0: Yeah, but there's no problem with that. I don't have a problem with that dual representation. I don't have a problem with the broker getting getting a commission from the seller and a commission from the buyer at the same time. I don't have that. It's a little hazardous, but I don't have a particular problem with it. But that's more important for the seller to get directly in contact with the buyer. Because the distortion is going to be even greater when you when the agent tells you what's going on or what he thinks is going on or what's the best way to handle it. And if you sit down, and there's nothing wrong with it, sitting down directly with the buyer, or if you can't do that, get a term sheet. So you now have a term sheet, let the buyer submit a written term sheet through the agent, and then the seller looks at it and decides this is good or isn't good, and makes changes on it. So instead of going through the agent as this they go through you have a term sheet where you tell the agent what you, what you what you plan what you want to do, and the buyer does the same thing. So you've got the negotiation. Through the term sheet, not through the agent. So there's no distortion. So it what you think somebody uh, has a term sheet? So, so
2: you're saying bypass the agent and do the deal directly with the buyer
0: and not so him? Sure. So if you the can, sure. what If you can, you're not bypassing the agent. The agent's still going to get paid. It's still, I'm it's not saying like, the agent doesn't get a commission if you make a deal. If a seller makes a deal with a buyer that the agent brought in, the seller the the agent's entitled to get a commission.
2: That's you fine. Think
0: it- but to but making the terms of the deal or getting it done the way the buyer is the seller is happy and the buyer is happy, then I'm saying that, that you can sure you get, get I wouldn't trust anything that the that the agent has to say as to where the deal is gonna work.
2: So I like what you're saying. Work with the buyer directly, get the deal done and pay the agent the commission.
0: Sure.
2: What, and I like it. What about the fact that he didn't follow instructions and because he didn't follow instructions, we dropped the price substantially?
0: So what else is new?
2: Huh.
0: I mean, you shouldn't. That's why, that's why you don't deal with the agent. You don't drop the price. The, 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 you, 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 what happens now is you get caught with the agent, basically, as I said, is looking to make the deal. Now, he is going to tell the buyer what the buyer wants to hear. He's going to tell the seller what the seller wants to hear, and there is, it's not the truth. So he's going to sell the buyer. The buyer says the price is too high. The seller, then the agent's going to say, "Well, let me work on a, on a, the seller at that point and lower the price." All right. Now you work on. Now goes back to the seller, and he says, "I'm having problem meeting your price. The, the buyer wants the price dropped. That may or may not be true." But this is what the agent says. Why? Because he wants to get the two parties together to make a deal. And he tells them each of them what they want to hear, which doesn't necessarily, isn't the truth. And now, on the other hand, if in fact the buyer and the seller speak directly or go through a term sheet and say, fine, here it is, here's the price, here's the down payment, you're going to put up 10%. Uh, On this time, we're going to close it in 60 days, 90 days. Here's the conditions. We're going to have an inspection, whatever it is. You have a term sheet, which is basically almost the equivalent of a contract, but it's not a contract. It's not binding on either party, but it now sets forth the terms under which they're willing to make the deal. And if the buyer signs it and the seller signs it, even though it's not binding as a formal contract, that's it. The agent can't go back and say, no, that's not what agreed upon. So then it's not a question of additional down, down payment or what, what it is, or it's not a question of, well, if I want to close in 60 days, you want to close in 9, 20 days. All of that can be set forth easily, but get the agent out of the negotiation.
2: Got it. So just get the deal done. That, that's essentially what it is. Get the deal done. Exactly right. Thank you, sir. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. Okay. But hey, if he doesn't, if, if the agent, if, if the agent doesn't do what you wanted him to do, don't pay him his commission. You can chisel a commission lots. Yeah, but you what do think
1: I do? If st-
0: the agent did something wrong at that point, just tell, you don't pay him.
2: Yeah, but like, so, so we got to get the deposit in our trust account, not in his trust account. Of
0: course, account. shouldn't be there in the first instance anyway. If it should, then tell it goes into your trust account, let it go to your lawyer. Sell it, let it go, let the lawyer hold it in escrow. That's typical. Certainly not the agent. Yeah, that's that's good advice. Yeah. Okay. okay, thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah, and then you do it. It's just that if you if you get through the translation of what the agent is telling you, and you can get to the actual part, you can find out something that is more that you can live with. Words, if is buyer, for example, I sold I sold an apartment that I had in a major building, and it was a price, it is, and I thought the price was low, and the, when I, I got to speak to the buyer, and the buyer says, look, take out whatever you want. I'm going to gut the apartment, so if there's anything there of value, it's yours. Well, this wasn't told to me by the agent. This was told to me by the buyer. Okay, so now I had some furniture. I had some equipment. I had some electrical stuff in there, and I said, okay, figure that in the price. So I can, if I take this out, it's worth a certain amount of dollars. And but at least I know where the buyer was coming from. So it didn't hit with me. Well, I want a, an allowance because the floor has got some scratches on it. Or what, you, you get rid of all the, the the nonsensical or the minor items, which really were not important to either side. But you can do that with a direct with direct conversation. Okay.
2: Okay. Thank you.
1: Uh, that's That's awesome, George. Okay, so next we have Patrick. Uh, Patrick, if you press star six, you should be unmuted.
3: Uh, can, you okay? can you hear me? Okay, it's actually going to be Matt. Okay, able oh. to uh, get through.
1: Oh, okay, okay.
0: <laughs> All right, go ahead.
3: I'll be asking the question. Uh, good evening, George.
0: How are you? How are you? I'm fine, thanks. What's up, Mark? Patrick.
3: So, what is We've uh, we've been looking for some small parcels of land to build basically a 12-unit rental property in a specific, very promising town um, up here uh-huh. in Canada. At the inception, we were looking for small parcels, just big enough to do one building, since we know we'd have enough investors to get the project financed at that scale. However, the smallest parcel available is 3.7 acres, on which we could build a small community of about 10 or 12 buildings. At this size, is it wise to include communal facilities like a fitness center, pool, um, that kind of thing? The project's a little bit bigger, a few notches above what we're used to. And we're unsure how to progress with the project exactly. Like, if we should get enough funding to build one, and then use the the refinance profits to build the other ones, or do we just try to find the larger pools of money to finance the entire project? It's tricky, including that communal facility, because what will happen is with the funding, we'll need more of it, and then um, during the onset, with a little return for investors in the first few years of construction. Mm-hmm.
1: So, so okay, George, how, how should? So yeah, a couple
3: questions in one question. Yeah.
1: <laughs> So, should they bring in a development partner? Should they build it in phases
0: no that's a, it's, a, it's a very good question I understand the, the understand the problem and it's not an unusual problem because what this has to do any time when you're doing what your 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 basic uh, improvements on any tract of land i mean you have to bring in water, you may have to bring in sewers, you may have to pick in roads, or whatever it is It is your your infrastructure and the cost of the infrastructure is something that you have to consider in day one. And it's usually not something that you can do piecemeal. (laughs) In other words, if you're going to build out all these units or or you're planning on building out all the units, well, you're going to have to have water for all the units even though you're not building all the units. So that's taken into consideration as to the basic structure or the, the infrastructure. But when it comes to amenities like a pool or a clubhouse or something like that, That's an entirely different situation. I would not build it in the first instance on spec, but there's nothing wrong with promoting it. There's nothing wrong with telling a potential buyer of this. You show them a beautiful brochure, future site of uh, the the clubhouse or the pool, 12,000 feet, whatever it is with the pool, what the amenities are to be in the future. So you're selling them, the concept of the future, even though you are not intending to build it immediately.
1: Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. very often people will buy and say, "Oh yes, there's going to be a pool in the future when you build out the rest of the site." Now, you haven't agreed to do that, but they they see it be, that this is what is proposed, so they say, "Well, it's got a future when you build it out, you have the whole thing," uh, and they, they someone buying in will say, "Okay, I'll I'll buy it on the on the." concept that that will be there in the future, even though I don't have it pinned down. Nothing wrong with that. Now, also, take into consideration that you may decide to build initially on the small plot, right? Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with selling off the rest of it. (coughs) To 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 a subsequent developer, let them build the rest of it, including what they have to do on the uh, the other improvements. They could let them put it in a pool or not a pool. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to figure, well it's only me, I'm gonna be there forever at that point. It may turn out the the first the first part would met your expectations and you're satisfied, but you don't want you're not satisfied to, to build out the the entire project. So therefore you can sell off the rest of the project. And let them do it at a later point in time. Nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. Or you can sell the land. Assuming that yep. there's no no restriction uh, in on uh, getting permitting or what have you, and let them do let them do what they want. So there's nothing wrong with doing with with con- conceptually dealing on a piecemeal arrangement. Nothing wrong with it. I certainly wouldn't uh, front load it any more than I have to front load it. That's a putting, in, uh, a putting in from- a, well, putting in amenities that you may or may not use. Uh,
1: a question for Matt. Matt, do you know if the property has enough frontage uh, to actually subdivide it?
3: It doesn't. So that it might does, be yeah. no-
1: that might be another solution. If you can subdivide the land, then maybe you can just sell off a piece, and that way, yes. the yeah. Are-
3: yeah, yeah, and it would subsidize yeah. some of the building costs for the, uh, the, other, the 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 main project or the first project.
0: Yeah, you could make a profit. Yeah, but on the, the first the first project, the, the first the first project that you're talking about, assuming. That you're saying it you, you you'd be fine. It, you're saying the smallest parcel is three three point seven acres, uh, to build ten or twelve. Hey yeah, but that's not terrible. No, if no, it goes great and it builds out, you may be happy to have that extra acreage.
3: Yeah. Well that's the way we're thinking, like the original plan, like I said, we're looking for something small, but we end up finding something larger. It's yeah, it's but but, but it's still a good deal. Don't, that's the thing.
0: Yeah, so, but you but in beginning at this point let's not you know uh, don't throw the baby out with the with the bathwater at this you're saying the property is in a very spe- specific very promising area hey yeah that's that's that adds value right away so yeah. the future that this looks good because of the location and you can take it into account saying well that should help. Eliminate alleviate the risk of of the initial investment am buying more land than I'm planning on using immediately. Mm-hmm. But that's you know that that's okay too. Just to don't go in over your head. Anyways, don't build it out as if you're going to build all of the units and then find out that it didn't work. Yep. So that you just build build it build what's necessary in the initial in, in initial situation or the assumption. That's fine. And don't be afraid of. Uh, of Promoting it, in other words, advertising it. So we're going to do this. potential. You show beautiful pictures of what it's going to look like on uh, the roads, the trees, or the pond. I don't, whatever you got.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So there's nothing. There's nothing. You, you know, you can sell them the sizzle. You don't have to sell them the steak. That's yep. fine. Now you don't represent that. That's it. They look at it, saying, "This is what we're planning on doing when the rest of the project is developed." Yes, exactly. So yep.
3: don't, don't like you said, don't front load it, but say it's going to be there. And then when time yeah. comes, you would then...
0: Correct. Correct.
3: Perfect. And that'll help us with the funding as well as we won't, won't need as much Absolutely. money. Absolutely. To back.
0: So, Absolutely. Absolutely. Know. And the same thing when you do the funding, whether you're doing private funding or you're getting it from a bank or an institution, just showing that, say, here's what we're planning on the future. They yeah. love that.
3: No,
0: exactly. Because it makes your investment more secure.
3: Yeah. It looks like you have a future plan to go with it. So... You got it. Perfect. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Okay.
1: All right. Very good. Okay, so next, George. What's next? We've got a situation with the city of Philadelphia where we've got an agreed settlement uh, settlement price on uh, an eminent domain case involving seven properties. And Mm -hmm. the city's been incredibly slow. They've missed three deadlines to settle the case. They keep asking the court for a continuation, which has been granted mm-hmm. times. Yeah. How, uh-huh. do we, how do we compel the city to just fulfill what they've committed to do?
0: Uh-huh. Good question. <laughs> Good question because this is – yeah, a city basically is – understand this. The courts are reluctant to to force the city to come up with money that the city doesn't want to come up with. So they give them more time. And if you eventually you run into a, uh, a situation where it just is, is – yeah, you got eminent domain. You got a piece of property which is the which you can't do anything with because you've already agreed on a settlement. But there are procedures where you can get a judgment, or you can force it to force the city to do something that will give you a a time frame. But this is a legal situation which is really uh, intrinsic, or it's it, depending on Philadelphia. I mean, I don't know what the, what what the law is in Philadelphia, so I can't tell you. But generally right. speaking, you can get an agreement. When you're saying a settlement, you can get a physical agreement with the city that they buy it, that they agree to buy it at a certain price at a certain point in time. And if they don't, then they when when with the closing and they don't come up with it, they they pay interest for the fact that the the for the use of the the money at a period of time. Now, if the city is required to do that, what do you think will happen? They'll come up with the money because they don't want to pay the penalty. But yeah. it, it's it's in. It's really up to the particular law and the jurisdiction, so I can't help you really on that. Okay. okay. But, uh, I understand your problem, and if you don't do something to solve it, it'll just go on and on.
1: Yeah. I mean, on October the fifth, it'll be two years since the eminent domain legislation. Yeah. Yeah. No,
0: the, yeah. Good. good. So. <laughs> so welcome to the club. This is what happens when you're dealing with the city that hasn't got the money.
1: Yeah.
0: And doesn't want to spend the money. I mean, I had many situations where I got uh, taxes reduced because the city had uh, had the taxes on that were too much. And I get to get a fact. Yeah, they, they tell you you get a reduction in taxes. Yeah, where's the money? I paid it. Where do I get it? you got to wait a period of years before you get it or they take it off because they don't have the money up front and they don't want to pay the money. But they didn't have any problem taking yours. Yeah, indeed. So, uh, you know, but that's. I mean, that's what's dealing with government and municipalities. They don't want to come up with money if they don't have to. And generally speaking, they don't want to when they don't have to. They'll pass it on to the next administration. Okay, Welcome so here, to the So, So, so here's ahead.
1: another one that's, that's kind of an, an interesting similar situation. So we actually acquired uh, four properties from the city. Uh, so this is going the other way. We bought from them. And the properties came with a deed restriction that said we had to, we had to build multi-unit residential within a period of four years. And then the city rezoned the area to a single family. So, mm-hmm. uh, so, to, No, but have, I
0: think it, I think at that point, I think that that point that you may be grandfathered in. I would hope so. Yeah. I think it could be grandfathered in or that would be a good case to say you're grandfathered in that they can't they can't take the property away from you because they decided to down zone it.
1: Okay, that makes sense. I
0: think you can get you can get an exception. Would we, they can say, well, you gotta build one family house and later on they say you can't build one family house. That's ridiculous.
1: So should we highlight that on the zoning application? Should we highlight the deed restriction or should we wait for the zoning application to fail and then appeal it?
0: No, I would I would fight it. I was a the restriction, or, or or speak to him, and you get it resolved. result. But I think you, I think you're going to win without the, that. You're going to do it anyway, and I think you can win before the building department or the the planning commission, whoever it is that did it, that that that, that you have a your grandfathered in over that restriction. Okay. Okay. What's next? We're running out of time.
1: Okay. Uh, let's see. Um... Matthew, Matthew Tompkins, are you on the line? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. You want to go ahead with your question? Okay. Um Hi George. Um Yeah hi. This is probably a simpler question. Um
0: when you you know are looking for partners to do business with, mm-hmm. how do you how do you smell the rats, if you will? Um Well, I'm, not this at this point. You can get, get I certainly would get as much as you can get past your she, get the banking relationships, speak to the banker. speak to anybody else who's done business with them, look at the financials, and then you got to get the, in your gut. If you feel they would be a good partner, do business. If you feel they're not, don't. This is something you – this is uh, really like the smell test. It's hard to, to pin it down uh, unless you, you've done as much as you think, think ought to be done. Get as much information as you can about the party you're going to do business with and then come up with a decision. Also, okay. you can build in, if you do, if you deal with these parties, you can build in some checkpoints that to say, fine, then I'm, I'm going to deal with you. But if you if you're supposed to come up with the money, I'll give you 10 days to do it. If you don't, you're out or something that something drastic happens so that you can keep a tab on them at various places that you meet the the, the, the milestones. If they meet them, fine. If they don't meet them, goodbye or something terrible happens. Okay. So checkpoints along the way throughout the initial projects. Perfect. Correct. Right. Okay.
1: Thank you so much, George. Have yourself a great evening. Okay. And uh, look forward to talking to you again. Thank
0: you, you too, and we look forward to next week. I've got some good questions. They keep them coming.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much.
0: Take care, Victor. All right. Cheers. Bye-bye. Good night.